0: Well, as I said, I'm Kevin Johnson, and I am community pastor here at Woodland Hills, and it's good to be up here with you this morning. I want to thank you for sliding into church today. No one can say of you, you may be sliders, but you aren't backsliders. Braving the weather and, and coming out, I really appreciate it. It's good to have you with us today. And I am honored and delighted to have the opportunity to share the word with you. I want to begin by saying, I want to hear from God. I want him to speak to me, to me. Now it doesn't have to be handwriting on the wall, although there have been a few times in my life where I've asked for that, in earnestness. It certainly doesn't have to be a burning bush, that would freak me out a little bit. But I want him to speak to me. I need him to speak to me, and so do you. There is a universal desire that goes across all ages, times, people, groups, and cultures for human beings to make contact and interact with God. You ever wonder why? One culture sets up a number of rituals where they do perhaps sacrifices in, in hopes of making contact. And, and another waits for the heavens to give some sign that contact can be made. And another erects an enormous pyramid or series of pyramids with a temple at the top because they want to hear from heaven. My family and I, just just about a month ago, we were down in the Yucatan Peninsula on vacation. One of the things we did was visit some Ancient Mayan ruins, the Coba ruins, maybe some of you have been there. The Coba ruins have amongst their, all their like 80 plus buildings the largest pyramid in their entire culture that still exists today. It was abandoned a thousand years ago and it's just enormous. I've got a picture of it for you here. It's not too good. It was just a regular snapshot. We haven't moved into the digital age at my house. But it just goes forever, way above the tree line. The the, the brush you see on the sides, that's just growing up on the sides of the pyramid. They've only cleared away this front side with, with, I think my son said, 140-some steps, and they're enormous steps. And we lugged it all the way up there. If this picture was a little clearer, you could see my family sitting at the top step. Now, behind that step... Just up a little higher is this temple where the ancient people would hope to hear from God. Now, I have no idea what they heard up there because the only thing I heard when I got up to the top was the pounding of my heart (laughs) and my wife's huffing and puffing. But we want to make contact with God. Can we hear? Does he speak today? To you and me. And not just in an exceptional way when we need him most and we're desperate and we cry out to him. I'm talking about regularly. Today. Tonight. Tomorrow. Normally. Just conversation with God. The way he seemed to speak with people in Scripture. Is that for you and me to experience? How high are you setting your goals in hearing from God? And how do we do that? How do we hear from Him? Those are the questions I hope to answer this morning and next week in this little two-week series that I want to entitle, Kingdom Ears, Hearing God for a Change. I want you to join with me in prayer. Lord, unless you speak this morning... My words are babble, And unless your power is unleashed by your spirit, all the energy that I burn will just be burnt calories. We want you to speak to us and move us. Move us to a new place of listening to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. There is this universal hunger to make contact and interact with the divine, and that ought to be telling, should it not? Oh, that God would speak! I, I read this week in an article um, that uh, a, a, an article about um, Christian conferences. If they put, it doesn't matter how big it is. It could be hundreds of people. It could be thousands of people. And if they run 10 concurrent seminars and one of them has to do with knowing God's will, 50% of all the people who go to that seminar will want to attend that one class. We want to hear from God. Hollywood picks up on that. They've got a, a TV show going now called Joan of Arcadia. It's about a very average girl living in a very average place, Arcadia, California. Been there. It's average. But God chooses to interact with this person in unusual ways, physically in the person of perhaps a bus driver or a fast food worker or a person in the park. And the show is very popular. Why? Because we, the average Joe or Joan, would love to have God speak to us. It is a universal longing, and at some level, we all relate to that. Have you ever noticed that there are certain times when we really want to hear from God? There are other times it doesn't matter as much. It's like, you can get my attention if you want, Lord. Other times, you know, but but there are times when when we really bring it and we say, come on, Lord, we got to hear from you here. One is when we're in crisis. When we're struggling, when the heat's on, when we are in crisis, it's like we see the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost as our own crisis intervention team. What's amazing to me is that God's okay with that. He's amazing. I mean, we invert the God-human relationship and say, come on, aren't you going to be at my beck and call here? And he... He graciously and lovingly responds. Wow, way to go, God. That's just awesome. But we look to Him. We really want to hear from Him when we're in crisis. Another time when we really want to hear from God is when we're at a crossroads. A few years back, my family and I, we were living in, in northern Coon Rapids and just doing life up there, kids in school. We had a church that we were involved in and yada, yada, yada. Nice home, nice neighborhood. And we are sensing, Kathy and I, maybe we should move to the city. What in the world is that about? We didn't even, I mean, we knew about Woodland Hills. We hadn't attended here. Um, it was just this prompting. We are at this crossroads of, do we do this? I mean, think of what it means. It's not that far of a move, but for the kids, new school, new church, new home, new neighborhood, new friends, everything, it was major. And so Kathy and I, We fasted and we prayed and we sought to hear from the Lord. Why? We were at this crossroads. The good news is he heard our prayer and he answered and he showed us and we're here and I'm here and and it's a good thing. So we look for the Lord to speak to us. (laughs) Thanks. We look to the Lord to speak to us when we're in crisis or when we're at a crossroads or when we think The world isn't just quite going right. It's not fair, doggone it. It's the, I deserve that promotion gripe. Hey, that's not fair, God, and I want justice. A lot of examples of that in the Psalms with David. David. got a video of just such a guy who was doing those I want justice thing, doing that I want justice thing with God. This is a guy who, who, who lost that promotion and he's losing his girlfriend right now because he's just messing up big time. In fact, he's kind of a turkey. But even though he is, God is trying to get through to him. In myriad ways, uh, one of which is, you know, giving him these little signs and, and actually giving him a hotline to heaven number on his pager. But he keeps ignoring it. But God's trying to get through. Uh, let's, let's run this video and you'll see what I'm talking about. How we love to run our own life, mess it up big time, and blame God. Even still... He tries to contact us and work with us. I just hope we don't say, sorry, don't know you. But there is this universal hunger to interact with God. But that is balanced in mine and your experience by this skepticism we have around... What can I really anticipate about God speaking? I mean, I'm just, just me. The next area I want to develop in my, in my message today is this whole idea of, of our hope of, our hunger for hearing from God, being tempered by life experience and, and the skepticism that we have for a few different reasons. Here's one reason. Historically, the abuses are many. Of people who say God speaks to them and you ought to listen. The church historically would say, when they were in a spot to say we uniquely hear from God, they used that to acquire land and wealth and political power for their own gain. And we look back or we read history and we say, oh, that's ugly. If that's what hearing from God is, who'd want to hear from God? I read another article this week about uh, there's this watchdog group that monitors TV evangelists and how much they blub for money. And they're saying it's getting a lot, a lot better. But who hasn't turned on the TV one day and, and seen that evangelist leaning into the TV camera and saying, God told me. That if you will only send in to my ministry $1,000, he will bless your family and save your kids and pay all your debts and heal all your diseases. Come on. They do that. And so we go, what's this hearing from God stuff? Then there's the comedian, Lily Tomlin, who says this. Why is it that when we're speaking to God, it is said that we are praying, and when God is speaking to us, it's called schizophrenia? <laughs> so maybe we're not just skeptics, we just think it's nuts. And on a more personal level, we know how hearing God can get muddled with our own selfish desires, right? I get a kick out of people who 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 never speak of hearing from God all of a sudden get real dialed in because they've fallen in love. And they'll say to me, you know, Kev, God said to me, that's the one I'm gonna marry her. And I just chuckle inside and think that it's funny how. Romance and spiritual sensitivity can get tangled up so quickly. And then finally, there's this. Related to the skeptical side of our wanting to hear from God, Dallas Willard, oh, man, he's got a great book. It's called Hearing God. uh Developing a Conversational Relationship with God. Dallas Willard is one of our favorite authors around here. And in this book, he makes as strong a case, as can be made, that, you know what, we ought to have a conversational relationship with God. But anyway, in the front of his book, he writes about his grandmother, who was a godly woman, just one of those sweet, saintly grannies who loved the Lord and had been faithful to Him all her life. And one day, they were sitting around the Sunday dinner table several of them from the Willard family. And they were discussing the morning message. And uh, they were talking about and commenting on what they thought of their pastor having said that morning that God had spoken to him about what the future plans of the church should be. And this sweet saint of a grandma to Dallas said, I wonder why God never speaks to me like that. I wonder why God never speaks to me like that. So we have this hunger that seems innate because it it runs through all ages and all people groups. And we have this skepticism, and it leaves you and I going, what should we expect? Generally, at Woodland Hills, we're pretty open-minded about God speaking to us. It was just about a year ago, I checked my notes, it was just about a year ago that I was standing up here doing this, and, and before I started my message, I mentioned to you that when Greg asked me to speak, he had asked me to finish up this series of his, and he had gone for a long time on it, he was getting a little bogged down, and I kind of thought he was just kind of like dumping the end of it on me. And it was, you know, who wants to preach his stuff? That's impossible. So I went to the Lord and said, what do you want me to say? And I sensed something else. And when I stood in front of you and in my introduction said, I'm going with what God told me to say instead of what Greg told me to say, you applauded. I've always wondered whether you applauded because you have a pastor who tries to be sensitive to what the Lord is saying or because you have a guy who dissed his boss. I don't know. Yeah, you know, we kind of pride ourselves around here on, on being this renegade culture, don't we? I mean, come on, that's kind of the Woodland Hills ethos. It's like uh, something is more spiritual if it goes against the grain. And I like that. But by the end of the service today, I hope we can picture a way to, to work with that in, in, a, in a redemptive way. That will help us open our ears and listen to God more regularly. I love our church's openness. As a church, we are very eager to hear God speak. But what I want to ask you is, what about you? Personally. Not exceptionally when you cry out to him when the heat's on. That's a good thing. Keep doing that. He delights when you do that. I even think that if it weren't for the movie, God loves those kind of prayers that this Bruce Nolan guy was doing in the movie. That's why they made their way into the Psalms from the mouth of David. i not saying he doesn't delight in those crying out to God prayers. I'm saying, could it be? He wants way more than that. What if the God we think of as a crisis intervention team, actually he wanted more than that with you personally, day by day, guiding you, speaking to you. If you knew He wanted that, would you embrace that? Would you pursue it? So we're back to our question of, well, what is normal? Is what I am experiencing today normal, or is there more? Let's look to Scripture, and I think we'll find an answer. We could begin by right at the beginning. When God created Adam, He started speaking with him. When Eve came along, He spoke with both of them. It's almost hard to figure out in, in those early Scriptures... If, if their their level of conversation was so close, it's almost like God's walking together almost hand-in-hand hand with Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, it, it, it's that hard to delineate what's going on because such was the level of intimacy of their relationship. And if Adam and Eve turning from God created some distance there and, and, and plugged their ears a little bit metaphorically, um, shouldn't our giving our lives to Christ and the work of our Lord on the cross, reverse that? But even still, after they turn from God, after the fall, they go their own way, do their own thing. God still talks with them regularly. In fact, when Adam and Eve's son, Cain, commits the first murder recorded in Scripture, he kills his brother. God doesn't give him the silent treatment. He shows up and he says, what's going on here? We could speak of Noah or Abraham or Moses or Joshua or Samuel. I love the story of Samuel, just a little boy. He had been dedicated to the Lord by his mother and he was at the the home of Eli the priest learning how to do the, the priestly thing and he was laying on his cot and God said, Hey, Samuel. And once Samuel figures out it's God speaking, he gives the greatest response. Here I am. Just... Here I am. We could speak of Deborah or David. We could go on and on. But the, the big question is, what's normative and what's exceptional? Some might say, did this make its way into Scripture because they were exceptional? They were the only people God was going to speak to, and that's why they're in the Bible? Or did they make their way into Scripture? Just Well, duh, God speaks to us. Which is it? The answer to that critical question is rooted in the nature of God. The answer to that critical question is rooted in the nature of God. He creates human beings, and then he interacts with them. They talk together. They plan. He advises and guides and corrects. But as we do, they stray And their hearts are hardened and their spiritual ears quit working. So God calls Abraham. And he says, Abraham, my people don't listen to me anymore. My human beings aren't getting it the way I created this to work. And so you know what? I'm choosing you to start a special people. And I will lead you and I will guide you and I will speak to you and you will be mine. But then they mess it up, too. They don't listen. They turn deaf to God. And and I want to read to you from what I think is one of the most tragic chapters in all of Scripture. This is from 1 Samuel 8. And again, his people, his special chosen ones, they're no longer listening. And they want their own king. It goes like this. This is 1 Samuel 8. I'm beginning in verse 4. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. If you're following along, I'll tell you about that when we get there. All the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to Samuel, You're old and your sons don't walk in your ways. So we want a king. Appoint us a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected as their king, but me. As they have done from the day that I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods so that they are so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Verse 10, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. And he said, This is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Verse 13, He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. Verse 18, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, and the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord, and the Lord answered, yeah, listen to them. Just give them the King. And the heart of God is to lead His people. And the heart of God is to lead His people. I pick up the story that I just read for you in, in the minor prophet book of Hosea. I'm just going to read this for you. It's not on the screen, so just listen. The heart of God. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the bales and they burned incense to images It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. When you begin to read scriptures with an eye to the heart of God, we begin to get an answer to the question of how much he wants to interact with you and I on a regular basis. The story that I'm weaving through these Old Testament texts is foretold in terms of its conclusion. In Zechariah 9, verse 9, where where the prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, daughter of Jerusalem! See, your king comes to you, righteous, righteous and having salvation, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of the donkey. And now we know that's a prophetic word about Jesus entering Jerusalem. On Palm, what we celebrate on Palm Sunday, his triumphal entry. The Lord finally gives them what they wanted. He wanted to be their king. He wanted to be the one that would lead them, who would provide for them, who would protect them. And they said, nope. We want a real person that we can see and can climb up on a big charger and ride us into battle. God said, but I've I've tenderly loved you and cared for you and taught you to walk and to speak and do everything that you can do. And they said, nope, we want our own king. And then finally, in this verse that I just read, it foretells of God saying, okay, I got it. I'm coming in the person of Jesus. And once again, you will have the king you originally longed for. Such is the heart of God. God wants to be your king, your savior, your bridegroom, your Lord. His heart is for relationship. That's why he brought you into this world. I want to share one more verse with you. To emphasize this point, it's it's out of Revelation. It's a very familiar text. You know this, but you may not know who it was written to. It's like this. Here I am. It's Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will go in and eat with him and he with me. You know what's amazing about this verse? It's addressed... To you. It's addressed to me. It's addressed originally to the church at Laodicea. In other words, the people who are already in and celebrating life in the kingdom of God. Now, I know some evangelistic ministries put this verse into their little handout tracks to talk people into giving their life to Christ. But Jesus is speaking this verse to those who have already done that. And I say that's profound. but it's consistent with the very nature of God who loves his people and created you that we might interact with him in relationship. I try to think of my marriage to Kathy if she never spoke to me. Or if she only spoke to me exceptionally, like when it got really bad, then she might say something to me. I have one of those marriages where she has a much greater capacity for words than me, so it's really hard to imagine that. In fact, once we were on vacation, just the two of us, and um, we were out at the beach and, and we were... I noticed the sun was going to set right into the ocean. It was going to be magnificent. So we pulled up a couple chairs and sat down. And I said, honey, would it be really cool? I'd just like to, in total silence, just with here, with you by my side, just the two of us, watch the sun go right down into the ocean. And we did that. For me, it was magical. It was holy. It was just awesome. I know what it was like for Kathy, because as soon as the last shred of sunlight went down into the sea, she goes, "Can I talk now?" <laughs> it would be terrible to to suggest that Kathy and I could have any sort of vibrant relationship if she never spoke to me. I grew up in a family where the silent treatment was a preferred unhealthy punishment. My father could actually go for days turning into weeks without speaking to anyone in his house. It was his way of saying, I am not in relationship with you right now. Well, duh. Why would you consider God wanting to have a personal relationship with you if you never dialed into the fact that that means communicating regularly, both ways? It's ironic that we have this buzzword or buzz phrase around our personal relationship with God. We in the church. It kind of bugs me because we've actually kind of just neutralized that phrase. It's like it's become a club password for who's in and who's out. But that's all we've got if we don't have a two-way communication relationship going with God. Dallas Willard writes of it this way. To abandon the faith that God wants to speak to me is to abandon my personal relationship with God people many of you are frustrated by the lack of depth for your own spirituality and it seems so hard maybe it's because the concept you have in your mind has you going alone And that this one-way communication relationship thing just doesn't work very well. That idea has us missing out on the glory of what it means to have a relationship with God. It means, almost unbelievably, a wonderful, glorious communion with the creator of the universe wherein He speaks and He guides And he loves, and he wants that with you. So then the question becomes how? What can we do, what can you and I do to position ourselves to experience that? I think the answer is found in just two quick things I'm going to say. It has to do with our primary posture before God as followers of Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about some practical stuff, what listening looks like, different ways God speaks to us, uh, pitfalls to avoid, that sort of thing. Today, in closing, I just want to talk about posture. And for that, as in all things, we look to Jesus. He's a bit of a renegade, like we like to think of ourselves. Uh, He didn't step into the religious game. He kind of blasted it. Uh, He was supposed to follow holy people protocol and instead he ate with the sinners and the ladies of the night and the tax collectors and those sorts. But before his father, he had a posture that I believe if you and I emulate, will result in us tuning our antennas to hear from God much more regularly than we experience today. There are two parts to that. The first is found in John, and I'm just going to read these three quick verses. In John 5, 19, he says this. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's look one chapter over for a little more definition. Verse 38 in chapter 6. I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Okay, he expounds on that a little more in chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, where we read this. I do nothing on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus, when he walked this earth, heard from the Father regularly. Why? Because his heart beat like his Father's heart. What mattered to his Father is what mattered to him. And he lived in absolute submission. And so he heard regularly. I've got daughters that are 18 and 21, and it's amazing. When, When their hearts aren't on the same page as mine and I try and say something to them, I just see the words go right past them. They don't hear a word I'm saying. But if we're talking and our hearts are matching up, they hear everything I say. Sometimes I think it's that way with the Father. As we align our lives with Him and in submission to Him, we just give our lives away to Him We position, we posture ourselves to hear from him in ways that we may not be hearing when we're not. And then there's this, the second piece to Jesus' posture. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and said, hey, set these boys up real good, will you? When you finally come into your kingdom and are sitting on your throne, I want one of my sons on this side and my my other son on this side. Oh, the disciples... They got ticked off for them being so ambitious about that, but then Jesus settled it all down by saying, hey, whoever wants to be like me is going to have to give their life away. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. See, it's when we follow our captain, Jesus, that we, the band of brothers, the sisters who are renegades, this church can hear from God in ways that maybe we aren't today. And I encourage you to embrace the posture of Jesus, who before his father was submitted with a servant's heart. When we align our spirit with the heart of God, when what matters to him is what matters to you and I, when we're ready to follow and give our lives away, then we will hear. Will you stand with me in closing prayer? People, it's in God's nature to want to relate to you, with you in, in regular, constant levels of intimacy that you haven't begun to imagine. And if we want to do our best to hear, let us follow our Savior in a posture of submission and servanthood. It's all about kingdom ears. Let's pray. Father God, will you Move in our midst and impress upon each one here how much you really want to speak to us. And will you help us to align our lives with you in even greater ways so that we can. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.